Star Trek, our favorite frontier. These are the podcasts of Aaron and Polly, their ongoing mission to explore all things Trek, to seek out cool things and pick them apart, to boldly complain as no one's complained before. And this is Paul. And welcome to yet another very exciting episode of Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. I feel like you said yet another, as if people are sick of us by now. No, I just think that I think that they are used to our episodes being very exciting, and so Uh yeah, I don't want to say you know welcome to an exciting episode when you know I need to acknowledge the fact that all of the Aaron and Polly content is exciting. That's not true, but, you know, it, it's true enough. I felt like you were cha- channeling your best Boimler there. <laughs> right? So I, 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 I'm, I, I'm on the internet this morning. and uh, uh, you know, Is crit- this a porn thing? Critical mistake. And <laughs> I am uh, – I'm on Instagram, and I see this guy. He, he, he posted a, a note about – uh, 1989 and, you know, Batman and how, you know, uh, crazy the world was for, you know, the Michael Keaton Batman 1989. And, you know, I, I wrote a response to it. I commented on the Instagram page and I said, I said, you know, I, I remember standing in line, uh, uh, waiting for, for, to see that movie for the first time. I remember, you know, the people that I was there with. Uh, I, that was a that was a, a great time. It was a great summer. You know, yada yada. And this guy responds, not the guy who who runs the Instagram page, but another guy responds to to my post and just says, "Okay, boomer." Oh. And I gotta tell you, if I could have reached through the internet <laughs> and pulled that guy through, I would have wailed on him. I, I was just like, "What a fucktard!" First of all, Gen Xer. <laughs> <laughs> and second, what a bastard! I uh, <laughs> I hate you. It's like what, what what exactly is bad about what you said that yeah. someone needs to respond with "Hey Bloomer"? Like you're just sharing in your experiences, uh, and it, it's all very positive. It sounds like yeah. I mean, I, I was I was cheering for the band, right? I mean, <laughs> that's all yeah. I did, and I got an okay boomer. <laughs> and, and did you resist the desire to respond? Uh, I did not, but I didn't. I didn't go ugly. I just said, uh, "Gen Xer," <laughs> you know. I'm just like, you know, fuck you. <laughs> I did not say fuck you, but I did say Gen Xer. <laughs> We're channeling our Discovery season two profanity here. I know, Discovery season one. Did they drop the f bomb in Discovery season two? I, believe, I don't think they did. I, well, yeah, they definitely did in season one. Uh, I don't recall in season two. But we're not talking about Discovery yet. Yeah. No, yeah. no. We're, we're going to – we were – you know, last time we gave you a triple feature. This time it's a double feature. We will be talking today about these... – <laughs> Next time we talk to you, it'll be the season finale. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we're talking today about the season one finale of Lower Decks and the season three premiere of Star Trek Discovery. So mm-hmm. uh, let's kick it off with no small parts. Lower Decks, season one, season finale. Um, 
So, Paul. Yes, sir. Um, I would like to once again reiterate my disdain for the reference of things that are right there out in the open as Easter eggs. It drives me crazy to see so many articles listing all the Easter eggs in uh, in Star Trek Lower Decks. And, uh, you know, like one of the things that was called an Easter egg was the Packlets. I'm like, well, how can you call that an Easter egg when, you know, they're actually key to the story? I don't, yeah. I don't get that. Yeah, I don't get that. You know, Easter Easter eggs are not Easter eggs if they're straight up just callbacks. Like that's that that's just a callback, a reference, you know, or just perhaps something from continuity popping up in another Star Trek show. Yeah, I wouldn't call that an Easter egg. Yeah. Easter egg. Easter egg literally, by definition of Easter egg, implies a hidden thing. Yeah, something that you have to find, not something yes. that's just like right there in the middle of the screen where, where someone's got a credit for it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you have to find it. But, but um, you know, I'm not going to call them Easter eggs. I'm going to call them callbacks. Uh, I, some people might call it fan service, uh, but I would, I was delighted, <laughs> delighted by many of the things that appeared in the uh, f- final episode of the season of Star Trek Lower Decks. And opening up with no less than Landru, uh, yeah. you know, from the original series. I freaking loved that. That we, you know, because in keeping with the charter of, of subsequent contact that the, that is the charter of, uh, the Cerritos, uh, they are back, you know, visiting the planet where, where Landru is on, where the original series had to defeat the computer that was, you know, taking over and ruling, uh, the, the, the population there. I just, I, I, I love that. I thought, I thought that was terrific. And, and one of the things I think is so great about the animated series is being able to, you know, okay, what else? Those other series, you know, what else happened? Uh, I, I got a huge kick of that, you know, thinking that that uh, uh, Captain Kirk, you know, solves all the problems after he leaves, you know, uh, this really sort of yes ands that 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 whole sort of, uh, of thing. And, and I can't remember if it was this episode or a prior episode where Mariner makes the comment that follow up is not Starfleet's strong point. And that is exactly true. I mean, you know, I argue that about Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan all the time, that how in the world do they not know that one of the planets in 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 the SETI Alpha system blew up? You know, the minute they arrive in, in the SETI Alpha system, they should say, aren't we missing a planet? You know, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, <laughs> this is SETI Alpha 5. I mean, it's just drives me crazy that that nobody on that ship noticed that. And it just shows you what a terrible science officer Chekhov is. Spock would have noticed <laughs> that shit. Chekhov, not so much. You know why? Russians can't count. <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> I think that's what Star Trek is saying. Russians can't count. But yeah, Star Trek, Star Trek is notoriously bad at follow-up. Really good at first contact. Second contact, subsequent contact, not so much. Now, and you know, so this leads into something that people really seem to enjoy, seem to have enjoyed, but I thought it was kind of stupid, um, which is that uh, who is the first officer on the ship? The one voiced by Jerry O'Connell. Ransom. Do you recall? Ransom. Ransom makes a reference to TOS. And, you know, like, and we all refer oh, to TOS yeah. as the original series, right? Right, right, right. And, you know, and, you know, so he goes, ah, oh, you know, blah, 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 TOS, you know, the TOS times and, you know, and Mariner says, wow, what's TOS? And he says, those old scientists. Yeah, that was terrible. I thought that was a terrible way when you really actually could have said the original series because it was the original Enterprise. Right. 
and, and just refer to it as the original series, the original yeah. Enterprise, the yeah. original, you know, um, whatever class, you know, class series, blah, blah, blah. Like, I feel like there was a, a much more um, there's a, a better joke better, there. Th- there's a better joke, yeah. joke there than those old scientists. Yeah, because that just that, that joke. Uh, and now I will say that is pretty much the only issue I had with the episode. Oh, yeah. Um, that is the only joke that didn't land for me in that episode. I loved seeing the image of the animated series Kirk and Spock on a pad. Right. I mean, uh-huh. that was that was awesome. I was like, oh, could we get can we get a time travel crossover? You know, with that animation style for Kirk and Spock and, you know, and the original series crew. Wouldn't that be a, a, a hoot? And this is one of those things, and, you know, we've talked about this before, I think, that one of the great things about the animated series is you can bring in those other, those other characters. Cause the actors don't have to look like they did 25, 30, 50 years ago. Yeah. You know, you can use their voices. And to that point, we found out just this, this last week that Kate Mulgrew, will be returning as Captain Janeway, or Admiral Janeway, uh, yeah. in the Star Trek Prodigy series over on Nickelodeon. And I think that's wonderful. That's the, I really I, I love that she's going to be, apparently, a regular character there. Uh, but, I mean, there is no reason in the world w- that we can't get a Worf cameo, or a Geordi, or even just a full guest-starring piece... Uh, from our Star Trek actors that are still around. And so that means you need to hurry up and get your, get your George Takei, Mr. Sulu, and your Walter Koenig, Mr. Chekhov, while you still can. Because, uh, I, I, you know, those guys aren't going to be around with us forever. Yeah. Now, I will say that's one thing that I know this is sacrilege to say. You don't technically even need the actors true um to do the voices because obviously Leonard Nimoy's gone but you know you can certainly find sound alikes um Star Wars does it all the time no <laughs> no you're you're right you're right and and you know uh but if you've got those guys available yeah use they're them. willing yeah yeah use them but yeah i know i i i could i could live i mean you could have uh Ethan Peck voicing the animated Spock Oh, fair point. And I gotta yeah. tell you, the, the, the animated follow-up, uh, feature that I need to see is Giant Spock. You know, cause that, that whole Giant Spock is still wandering around the universe. You know, he's still alive. Clone of Spock, but he's a giant. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one I need to see. I, I, I do. I, I like the idea, and I think animation is the place to do it, and, and, uh, I think that's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, I was, hilariously surprised that the Packlids were the bad guys of this episode. Mm-hmm. And I mean that they, they took out uh, Cerritos' sistership. Um, yeah, I like that they, you know, for a, a joke character, they, they did find a way to make them menacing. Yeah, yeah. And, and still keep the humor to the character. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, this is a comedy. This is a comedy show. Uh, but yeah, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. And, you know, spoilers... The fact that, you know, Riker and Troy show up in the Titan, a, a ship that uh, we have heard about all through the season, right? Mm-hmm. And you should have known, should have known that the USS Titan was going to show up, right? But USS Titan comes out of nowhere to save the day um, in in terrific, heroic manner. And what I love about it is that it is a huge joke that this is almost exactly the same way that Star Trek Picard ended its first season. Okay. I mean, Almost exactly the same ending. Except done so much better. I mean, it's done so much more effectively it with is, different ships. It yeah. wasn't just the Titan, right? Well, and it is so much more satisfying 
to in this ending because you get to interact with Riker, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you in that final episode of Picard, Riker shows up, saves the day, leaves town. I mean, it is it is such a ridiculous ending. You know, not just the fact that all those ships look exactly the same, so it feels more like a holograph, a, a holographic trick than a genuine fleet. Um, and, you know, Riker shows up, you know, has a, has a close up shot, a couple of close up shots on the bridge, and then he's gone. Whereas Riker shows up here, saves the day, and then comes aboard the Cerritos and interacts with the crew, and we find out, you know, they've got all this history. I fucking love that. And I, you know, I, I, the moment I saw it on the screen, I'm like, you know, people are going to be clamoring for a USS Titan animated series. Yeah. That's what that's what's going to spin off out of this because you know there's so much bottled up Star Trek love, right? And especially for that, right? Yeah. People have been wanting that Titan thing, the Titan show for years. For twenty years, and the fact, yeah. For twenty years, and the fact that it came out and it was so well done, and you're like, oh. What does the Titan look like inside? Who's the crew? Who's that? You're like you're already asking questions about the Titan, and they've already announced that season two will will you know will feature further adventures on the Titan because that's where Boimler is stationed yeah. as of the end of season one. And so I'm excited to see that. Like I know it's a comedy show, yeah, and I know it's not exactly what we always wanted, but the fact that we're getting like we're getting a little bit of a Titan show for a yeah. little bit. Well, and there's yeah. no reason not to do it, right? I mean, because. When it's animated, the stakes are, are automatically lower. Right or yeah. wrong, that's the case. People people are a lot more forgiving about an, a 22-minute animated show than they are about an hour-long action drama, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I, <laughs> I loved this. I loved – I loved – I mean, what's funny is the, the emotion that it evoked for me was in keeping with the same emotion – invoked or evoked uh when Riker and Troy show up in Picard you mm-hmm. know and you've got the big group hug and you know my my heart just leapt from my chest same thing here which is it, funny because that you know that's an interaction of characters that you have a history with right, right? yeah but you know the, the, even though we've only had one season of the crew of the Cerritos the interaction with Riker still brought out you know this excitement and the instant camaraderie between Mariner and and Riker like it, it, there was just, it was just a joy of an ending. Yeah, uh, well, they really stuck the landing on the season one. And one of the things that I find so uh, so smart about this show is not you know we 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 are hit in the face from beginning to end with Star Trek callbacks. You know, from all generations of Trek, lots of Star Trek callbacks. What I, one of the things that I think they do so well is calling back to their own series. And, you know, we saw in prior episodes where the captain is trying to figure out, you know, I, I need my own, my own, uh, you know, go to warp order. You know, Picard had engage and, uh, uh, Pike had hit it. And, you know, she's trying to figure out her own thing. Well, when Riker orders them to warp, and this is a callback to that joke. <laughs> It's a ja- it's a it's a jazz music countdown. He's counting down the beat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I I laughed so hard. I I I freaking loved this this show. I every episode this season got better and better and better and better. And I, I it, it's impressive to me to see how well Lower Decks is firing. Yeah, I think that the fact that Lower Decks 
is one of the strongest first seasons of any Star Trek show since the original um, series. Yeah, since the original series, you know they they were consistent. Not every episode sings, but every episode is at least good. Yeah. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed this first season, and I'm very excited that season two is already in production. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully we'll have it at some time in 2021. Uh, because it's a, it's a great show. Yeah. It is a great show. It captures both the Star Trek feel, the Rick and Morty aspects, the humor. It it you know the all the I mean. So, you know, you were saying, you know, about Easter eggs. There were actual Easter eggs in this episode, mm-hmm. like the Spock helmet. Right. That's right. An actual the Spock Easter helmet egg. was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. And it, it captures Star Trek, I'm going to say, more effectively than Picard and more effectively than Discovery. I would agree. Which is yeah. funny to me. Um, but, you know, and I don't know how much more we have to say on Lower Decks, except that I hope, given the time frame and given the starting of season two on the Titan and the fact that, you know, Patrick Stewart is around doing Star Trek. Uh, it would be very fun to see perhaps a cameo by yeah. the Enterprise E. Yes. With, uh, you know, Picard and, and, um, yeah, no reason not the, to. What is, right? what is the, 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 the fake data's name? B. Oh, B4. B4. Yeah. Yeah. There's just no reason not to. Yeah. Do it while, do it while you can. And, uh, I, you know, you hurry up and do some of, some of those actors. You've got to start prioritizing those guys. Yeah. I mean, Patrick Stewart does freaking American Dad. I'm pretty sure he can do a Star Trek animated series, too. Yeah. No, I, there's no reason not to. I, just do it. Just do it. Yeah, do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I thought Lower Decks was a hit. And so I was pretty darn excited going from uh, the Lower Decks uh, season finale to going into the uh, Discovery premiere because, you know, God dang, I really felt felt like, you know, these guys really have gotten Star Trek. They're firing on, on all thrusters. We, we are good to go. Good to go, Paul. Who? Uh, <laughs> I uh, I'm not going to say I hated the season premiere of Star Trek Discovery, but I will say I was very disappointed and I did not enjoy it. I, uh, I, I thought there were a lot of problems with this show and I'll, I'll just be right out there front with it. Uh, I find it tedious when you have an ongoing, uh, series to spend, to waste any time with a whole, let's put the band back together. Um, I, that frustrates the living tar out of me. Um, you know, we, Michael Burnham emerges into the future and of course she's separated from Discovery, despite the fact that Discovery was right behind her. And so we're going to spend the entirety of this first episode of her trying to figure out where Discovery is and, uh, where, where she is in the future and what in the world's going on. I just hate <laughs> these putting the band back together storylines. And yeah, I hate, I, you know, it, and this is one thing that, that, one of the reasons I dropped out of Smallville, remember the you know the TV show Smallville, yeah. um, is that they they had an exciting season finale and an exciting season premiere, and everything in and the middle sucked. <laughs> everything in the middle, yeah, but, it, but basically the season finale or season premiere would break the status quo, and the intent of the you know the following episodes were basically to get back to status quo, and that's right. what this feels like. Yeah, like. Okay, well, we're just, I mean, I, I, I get that they, they can't, in theory, go back in time, right? They've already, they've basically been written out of the continuity that they're not going to go back in time to, to their previous continuity. Um, but, you know, the fact that it's just, it, it like, we're probably going to spend half the season getting back to status quo, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, which I, I, I'm not a big fan of that. Now, I will say, I liked the concept more than I thought I would. Uh-huh. 
Um, you know, when they initially announced that Discovery was going to jump further into the future than any other Star Trek show, uh, 900 years past, I think, where they were originally. And what is that? Five, four, five hundred years past even the events of Picard. Yeah. And um, past, you know, uh, the officers who are part of the Starfleet Time Corps, you know, that mm-hmm. were interacting with Archer and Enterprise. I think they were like from 2900. And I think these guys yeah. land, I think uh, Burnham landed in what, 3100? Yeah, 3100. Uh, but so, yeah, far, the, the furthest that we have seen into Alpha Quadrant history yeah. uh, or uh, uh, future history. And there are things about it I like. There are things about it I genuinely liked. I liked this mystery of the burn. Why did all the dilithium ex- ignite at yeah. once? You know, the, 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 dis, the, dissolving of starfleet as a result of the burn you know it makes sense i like the idea of okay i think we're fooling ourselves if we thought starfleet was still going to be around in 900 years right so what government is around in the exact same format 900 years later right so okay okay so i get it like oh but you know we it's there's there's remnants behind now it's you know this this little rebellion that they need to rebuild. I like that. I actually liked a lot of that concept. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say my biggest issues with the episode really fell on the direction more than the actual plot. Um, I felt like the directing and honestly, um, uh, Sonequa Martin green in particular as acting. And I don't know if it was her acting or if it was the directing, I felt was so overdone with false emotion that it took me right out of the show. Well, and literally false emotion, right? Because she gets drugged to, Mm -hmm. and and winds up, you know, having some rather extreme, uh, responses and, you know, most of it being, you know, laughing and, you know, finding, finding, you know, hilarity in the current situation. And yeah, it's interesting to see Sonequa Martin green's character smile. And laugh Mm -hmm. because, you know, I don't think we've seen that ever (laughs) in in the prior episodes of the show. But because it's not earned, you know, it it doesn't, you know, we've heard a lot in the, in the Star Trek press prior to this episode that, that Sonequa Martin Green has brightened her performance, right? And that it's really changed the set because the stories aren't as dark. Right. In this Mm -hmm. season, the stories are more hopeful. And, you know, I I want to feel that as a genuine uh, response to what's going on and obviously not something she's medicated. Um, I there's there are a lot of things here that I didn't like. Um, I didn't care for the pacing. I didn't you know, as I said, I, I I don't care for the whole let's get the band back together thing. Um, it, cause it feels artificial in the storytelling. We're going to have a, an artificial delay in, in, uh, responding to the new circumstance because we got to go find the crew. And we, and, and the frustrating thing is, is that you know they're going to find the crew because you've seen those preview images. We saw in the season three trailer, Saru and everybody else, we see them talking to each other in those preview images. So we know they find their way back to each, to each yeah, other. Yeah, which is, then don't show me that shit in the preview. Exactly. I will say that. There's no drama. <laughs> <laughs> if if yeah, I you know, know by episode like four or five, everyone's going to be together. Yeah. So don't show me that in the trailer. Le- leave me in suspense. Right. Yeah, I, th- exactly. So, you know, that irritated me. But, you know, there, there were some things that I liked. You know, every season, uh, Discovery gives us a new uh, title package, right? You know, we get, mm-hmm. this, we get this new, you know, show opener. 
uh, with the credits and whatnot. And, and I like some of the images in that. Like, I, I love the image of these Starfleet droids. And, you know, mm-hmm. with control being such an issue in the prior season, I can't help but wonder if there's, you know, some suspicious activity with artificial intelligence, uh, you know, in the uh, new season. So I, I'm curious about that. Uh, I think they're yeah. called dot seven robots, whatever, uh, whatever, the, whatever that means. But I, I, um, I, go ahead. I, I just, but you know, we see a new phaser. We see, you know, all kinds of, of new stuff in that, in that opener. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see that. Uh, I, I enjoy the uh, new opener, the uh, new opener each season. Um, but I, I profoundly disliked the design of books ship. And by the way, book, is he somehow related to Shepherd Book from uh, Serenity? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with a no on that one. <laughs> I, I, the, the, the name of, of his character, Book, annoyed me. Uh, I was also annoyed by the name of his cat, Grudge. Yeah, I thought that was a bad name for and, and they made a rather big deal going into this season about the cat. So I guess the cat's going to be, I mean, they did even in the trailer yeah. for, for, for coming up on season two. And, you know, there's a decent amount of, of cat in that trailer. They're I'm like, I don't, what is the cat thing? Like, I guess they're just trying to make a, you know, a thing of it and try to, well, you've got a dog in Picard. So you'll have a cat in discovery. <laughs> that dog made it one episode. I d- yeah. Well, because he was such a bad actor, apparently, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, what bothered me about the cat and I don't know why I feel this way, but it felt like, you know, naming the cat Grudge was some kind of send up to, uh, Saga. Saga? Saga? Lion- the comic book? Lion yeah. Cat? Yeah, Lion Cat. I, it did feel like, you know, it felt like, it felt like some kind of link to that to me, which it just seemed, I, Grudge seems a stupid name for a cat, you know? It is. And, I, I don't know. It just didn't hit hit my ear right, and I wish that they had not done that. I wish that they had gone another way. Uh, and maybe it'll grow on me, but I I was just I was annoyed by that from the beginning. But I was also annoyed by the episode um, yeah. because I will you know they, there's a later reference where Book is being held captive, and the uh, the character holding him holding him captive says I'm you know I'm gonna I'm gonna take Grudge and I'm gonna roast her and I'm gonna feed her to a planet because she's so fat, and you know. I feel like in another show that would have landed as as humor, which it would have been, right? right? It was intended as humor, right? But when it, but the way it was portrayed in the show, and and that's why I call back to the to the direction. There was they 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 really tried to get a lot of humor out of Burnham being you know on the true serum and and the cat and all that, but none of that humor was actually funny, right? Um, you know, when he's, when, cause I, I feel like if it was in a Marvel movie, if, you know, Steve Rogers had a cat and the villain was like, I'm going to take your cat and she's so fat, I'm going to feed a planet with her. Like, I feel like we'd actually get some, some, some laughs out of that. But you know, out of it, but it I, didn't land that way for me. I felt like in that scene where the guy was threatening grudge mm-hmm. and first, let me give credit where credits do while I dislike the names, I dislike the name grudge. I dislike the name book. Um, I do feel that they've done a good job of introducing me to both of these characters because I remember their names. And so often I Fair. don't. Sometimes it takes me, it, it, sometimes it takes me a full season. Think of season one of Discovery where we're like, who are those people on the bridge? Yeah. You know, uh, so, you know, at least, at least I can, I know these names enough. <laughs> maybe that's why the one word, <laughs> yeah. maybe that's why the one syllable, one word, uh, character names so that you won't forget them. Yeah. Book. 
But, you know, there was a moment in the show, particularly when, you know, they were threatening the cat. I'm like, oh, the cat's not actually a cat. The cat is something else. You know, the cat is, you know, is like the cat in Captain Marvel, right? You know, it's some sort of alien that's wearing the form of a cat. Oh, shit, let's watch out for the cat. And so at the towards the end of the episode where uh, uh, Book releases the worm or whatever the hell that creature is, I'm like, that's, that's Grudge. Grudge has turned into that thing. And then, of course, it's not. But I did have, the, there was a, a little bit in the show where I was like, Grudge isn't actually a cat. Yeah, yeah it didn't but, even occur to me. Yeah. Which, but, you know, you would think cats would have evolved in the next 900 years. <laughs> stupid cats. <laughs> but cats are so not. stupid, they don't even evolve over 900 years. Fucking cats. <laughs> Useless. <laughs> um, you know, it, you know it, the, the, the episode begins with, you know, Burnham crashing down to a planet. I don't exactly understand why she set the self-destruct on her time travel suit and sent it into the sky to I, blow up. I don't either, because it was like she sent it back to the to the wormhole. To blow up. Yeah. And I was like, well, why would you... I mean, I understand destroying it, but couldn't you have just destroyed it in the, you know, 23rd century? Did you have to yeah. go all the way? I mean, if you if destroying it's the answer, it seems like you could destroy it anywhere. But the answer was that they had to get it far and away from control. I don't understand why, why the destruction of it had to be so immediate and yeah. why you couldn't have just destroyed it earlier. I mean, I, I don't feel like that that point was made. Agreed. You know, I, I it, it, the the destruction of the suit in general was not really clear to me. Yeah. You know, but then it, there's this sequence where she, like, you know, she's looking for life forms, and then the, you know, the computer's like, yeah, there are life forms around. And she just, like, has this huge breakdown. She just, like, yells into the sky, and I'm like what like yeah. like not like it was just so overacted and then all of a sudden you know she drops to her knees and she's like she has to talk herself into walk into standing up and then talk herself into walking i'm like uh, like you literally just flew a spacesuit around in space and time travel 900 years into the future you seem like you should be stronger than this uh-huh. that you're like stand up walk that like that entire sequence bugged yeah. me. Yeah. Um. It, it didn't. It, given literally what she just did, <laughs> five minutes prior, you know, flying in the middle of a giant space battle in nothing but like an angel costume. Uh huh. I feel like she had more strength than that. I also, and I'm gonna say this, and I know it's a nitpick, but it's Star Trek, and it's a, and it's something that should be nitpicked. The fact that her computer still works 900 years from now. Uh huh. Is bullshit because if <laughs> I went to the future with my iPhone, that shit wouldn't work because the technology is different. It would not be able to connect to a sal- satellite yeah. or whatever, you know, 15G or whatever exists, you know, in, in 900 years in the future. My phone would not work. It would not be able to tell me that I'm in, that this is the year I'm in. Right. This is, you know, there are life forms around. It would not be able to do that. And I, so that when they, when that happened, I'm like, so 900 years technology is backwards compatible? Oh yeah. Yeah, they you know after uh you know after uh, Windows 95, uh they they started making everything backwards compatible. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I mean it's it's it, it it it's evolved as much as the cat. Because your your Xbox cartridges will work on your uh on your <laughs> yeah. Xbox 360 and your Xbox One. So no shit. Like that's not even backwards compatible. <laughs> I, iOS 14 isn't even compatible with the last that, version of Apple right, the phone. Right. You know like <laughs> Don't tell me that her computer can work 900 years in the future. I know that's a nitpick, but Star Trek is so rooted in science 
over fiction, you know, science and fiction, that the science didn't pan out. But then again, we've kind of had that issue with Star Trek Discovery uh, since the get-go, which is that the science in Star Trek Discovery is basically is convenient, science of convenience. Well, and there's there's some great scientific ideas that yeah. have been presented in Discovery, like the uh, tardigrade, um, you know, and that whole mycelial network thing. I mean, that you know comes from you know actual science. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then some of the stuff surrounding it, you're like, oh, come on. <laughs> oh, oh, come on. But, you know, I, I think that the thing that I appreciate what they were trying to do in finding the Starfleet office and the lone uh, guy there charged with uh, managing Starfleet for the sector. Um, you yeah. know, and so essentially what you find in is this guy who is just keeping the the light on in the lighthouse, you know, hoping that that somehow some way Starfleet will find its way back. And, you know, his he does the same job that his father did and his his father's father before him. And you know, he's so far out of it that he's the first guy to do it who's not a commissioned officer because there is no one around to commission him when he took on the charge. I get what they're trying to do. I would have preferred that they find a guy, you know, <laughs> on some distant outpost who's not maintaining an office, but he, he you know, he, he, he maintains a signal because the idea that this guy spends 40 hours a week sitting in this office with nothing happening. And, you know, we don't appear to be it. They seem to make it pretty clear that this is not a post scarcity society any longer, that people have to work for a living, you know, that you can't just go to a replicator and get what you need. Yeah, that's the whole thing that Book is on his mission about is because he needs things, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. And he has to pay for things. And so this guy has no means of income or support and sits all day, every day in this office waiting for something to happen. I, I, I would have preferred to have seen this guy, you know, being a mechanic somewhere, a farmer, what have you, you know, eking out his existence but also maintaining a transmitter, mm. you know, as sort of his, you know, off duty, uh, sort of, sort of experience. So it just seemed, it seemed unrealistic based on what we had seen in the show that everybody is essentially a Ferengi. Everybody is looking for profit, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody is, is working to get by. And yet this guy has the uh, time and the resources to sit in an office 40 hours a week waiting for something to happen. Yeah. Well, and since the burn, long-range scanners or sensors, not a thing, right? You can only view, like, certain portions of the of, of the galaxy. Right. Um, yeah, because, like, the, the sensor relays are, are down, so you can't, yeah. you can't get a deep scan of what's going on. But her computer still works 930 years in the future. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Science of convenience. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I'll wrap it up by saying I thought the show was very disappointing. For as Wait. as much hype uh, as has been provided around this season, um, for as much I, – I, I was excited before the hype. I was looking forward to this. And I, I will be honest, I watched it at 4 a.m. on Thursday. Um, and, you know, Paul, when, I, when I sent Paul a note saying, eh, Star Trek Discovery, not so much – Paul's like, well, maybe it's because you watched it at 4 a.m. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's fair. And so I watched it again, and Star Trek Discovery, not so much. Yeah, 
It's it's you know here's the thing. It was a disappointing start to the season. I'm still hopeful. I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing the cast and crew, and I think that'll help because yeah. you know I have grown to like the crew of the Discovery, and this episode was just Burnham well, and Book. And and here is uh, who would have thought I'd have found another complaint about this show. Yeah. Michael Burnham is literally my least favorite character on this show. <laughs> I like Michael Burnham. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I find so much more interesting and intriguing about all the supporting cast. And this is very much an ensemble piece in Star Trek Discovery. So to have an episode where we spend most of our time with Burnham and well, all of our time with Burnham and a guy we don't know yeah. is very disappointing because I want to see what's going on with Saru. I want to see what's going on with Tilly. I like those characters. And again, they've moved my cheese. I, I don't like it. I don't like it. And, you know, the longer we go without reuniting me with the Discovery crew, is the, the, the less I'm going to enjoy this season. Agreed. So. But I think we'll see them next episode. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, yeah. I hope so. So, uh, you know, we'd like to know what you thought about uh, this week's discussion. You know, let us know what you thought about the Lower Deck season finale and the Star Trek Discovery season premiere. Give us a call at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. You can also hit us up on social media. We are IOM Geek on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Well, what a deal, Paul. We've got, uh, by my calculations, 14 more episodes of uh, Star Trek Discovery, which probably means about three more episodes of Star Trek with Aaron and Polly this season. Oh, we'll have more than that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Catch you later. Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. Tribble Wrangling provided by Triskelion Trays, no troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers, conveniently located on the promenade.